0: Should I be looking for a wedding invitation to hit my mailbox anytime soon?
1: I mean, you should. Yes, it must be about time for you to come to New Zealand. <laughs> <laughs> That's the perfect
0: excuse. I can't think of a better excuse, really. Yeah. <laughs> I will be watching my mailbox.
1: Yep, you should be. (laughs)
0: Welcome to wherever you are. My name is Ryan McNeil in Toronto, Canada, and you are listening to episode 241 of The Matinee Cast. It's the movie loving podcast on my movie loving website, thematinee.ca, your home for cinematic passion and perspective. So long ago, this movie loving kid wandered into my orbit. Give her 30 seconds and she'd talk your ear off about Christopher Nolan or Jessica Chastain. Her passion was infectious and her drive was inspiring. And in all sorts of ways, she was, is, the little sister I always wanted but never got. Time marches on, and that woman is no kid anymore. She's doing wonderful things for film in New Zealand and growing into her own with so damn much of her life still ahead of her. Dear listeners, it is apropos that I sit here and record very early which you could probably hear in my voice, on a Sunday morning, because film is my guest's religion. The cinema is her church, and the time has come again for her and I to say grace and break bread. I am beyond stoked to be up this early and to be on the the line with the other side of the world. She's a dear and longtime friend of the show and a woman about town in the New Zealand film scene. Please welcome Stevie Taylor back to the show. How are you, Stevie Taylor?
1: I'm great, thank you, and thank you for all of those kind words.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I meant every syllable. (laughs) On episode 241, we will be discussing Les Miserables. We'll be turning the record over to play the other side, but first, we need to learn more about Stevie. This is Know Your Enemy. TV first appeared way back on episode 61 we talked about Brave we learned that the first film she'd ever seen in a theater was A Bug's Life the last film she'd watched at the time was Hiroshima Mona Moore the worst film she claimed to have ever seen was something called i Melt With You the unseen classic at the time was the entire Star Wars saga now I know you've since seen the first one have you caught up with any of the others because there's like a whole new series now
1: um, I've seen The Force Awakens and The Last Jedi, okay. but I still haven't filled so in all the you're still picking and choosing. <laughs> yep. Gotcha. yep.
0: Uh, and the film that she would wish she'd made was uh, Schindler's List. Then uh, she returned for round two on episode 109. We talked about Darren Aronofsky's Noah. We learned the film that she digs and nobody else does is The Great Gatsby. The film that everybody else digs that she does not is Dancer in the Dark. I've seen that. Since that episode, by the way, and you are crazy. Really? That film is incredible.
1: <laughs> I really need to watch it again. Give it another go. Yeah.
0: The last film at the time to make her cry was Fruitvale Station. In the movie of her life, she'd be played by Carey Mulligan, and the film she was watching next was one of those live from National Theatre productions of um Warhorse, the stage show shown in a theatre, uh, not the... Steven Spielberg film from 2011. So it is now well past time for round 3. Miss Taylor, interpret this any way you want, but what was the film that made your love of cinema turn a corner?
1: So I was thinking about it and I mean there's a lot of films and a lot of corner, corner turning um in my love of film, but I think it was actually The Dark Knight because when I first saw that back when it first came out, it was the first kind of superhero slash comic book movie I'd ever seen. And I was really only going to see it because of Heath Ledger. But I just remember it had just such a profound effect on me seeing a film of that scale in cinemas. And it just like shook me and, I wasn't expecting it to be the way it was. I wasn't expecting it to be, you know, as intelligent as it was and as well made as it was. I kind of had all these preconceived notions about comic book movies then, Um and it just kind of taught me to, you know, like, just always branch out and try and watch as much as I can, even if I don't think I'll like it. Um, and yeah, and it's just such an epic film as well that I don't think I'd seen anything that epic in cinemas up until that moment. And I was like, you know what, I want to be at the cinemas all the time after watching that film.
0: Did you, by any chance, get to see it like all the with all the all the trimmings, all the bells and whistles? Did you get to see it in IMAX or seventy millimeter or something like that?
1: No, it was literally um, I went with a friend and we forced her dad to drive us over. To palmerston north which was about an hour's drive away from where i was um and it was a school night as well and we were going to see it you know in this really crappy cinema in a smallish kind of city so mm. i didn't really get to see it the way christopher nolan probably intended and i'm still yet to see it on imax as well so i'm hoping that gets brought back
0: <laughs> someday i'm sure it's yeah. it that's uh, I mean, now first of all, I'm not surprised uh, that you chose a Christopher Nolan movie given yeah. my introduction.
1: It's so predictable, <laughs> yeah.
0: But it's it's amazing to see as time's gone on what the legacy of that movie has been because at the time there was so much hype. There was so yeah. much hype around it. It it made just a ton of money it was a ton of fans favorite movie ever um you know there were there were oscar omissions around it they changed oscar rules in regards to it and for for, at the time it might have seemed like are we making too much of this is this something that we're kind of going overboard about and as time has gone on and we've seen like you say like what comic book movies can and would be it remains quite singular i i might say like kind of the only thing that ever approached it in the genre was would be a film like logan which would also use a grand palette which would also lean heavily on on emotion and the heart to make its point and you know even though logan is, is fantastic it didn't use the scale the same way that that Christopher Nolan used in that movie which even in your tiny theater in in you know a town an hour away you probably got sitting in that dark room was mm-hmm. was that entire sense of scale possibly mm-hmm. for the first time
1: Yes. Yeah. Like I re- vividly remember it was the first film that I'd seen in cinemas that I'd completely lost myself in. And I kind of snapped out and I was like, oh, wait, I'm just, you know, sitting on a seat in a cinema. I really felt like I was there. So it was just an incredible feeling and it's really stuck with me. And it's been, you know, 12 years since I saw it. So,
0: and, yeah. And the rest, as they say, is history. All right. Exactly. Miss <laughs> Taylor, what is, what was your first date movie?
1: Um, I mean, I don't know if we could classify it as a date, but the first time that, um, (laughs) Matthew, my fiance and I went to the movies together was to see Captain America, the Winter Soldier. So another comic book movie. Um, and yeah, but the first movie I would say that we actually went on a date to go see together was actually the Lego movie very romantic
0: (laughs) (laughs) oh my goodness do you remember anything about that date besides the like besides the fact that the lego movie like were you nervous was he nervous
1: um i i've since found out that throughout the entire movie he wanted to hold my hand but he was scared that i was going to freak out and run out of the cinema which definitely would not have happened
0: (laughs) Gosh, you guys are so sweet. It's not even fair. In asking this question, I I love to find out what the answer is, because as much as we all would think that our date movies would be to see stuff like The Notebook or When Harry Mm -hmm. Met Sally or Casablanca or those kinds of movies, a lot of the time the answer is something ridiculous. Yeah. You know, I'm sure that if we map out the movie-going landscape of your life, the Lego movie doesn't exactly hold a very high place aside from the fact that you and Matthew went to it. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I mean, the that's the that's the thing I love about talking about that point with people is that it's it's something really strange that was going on in the background while something important was happening it's it's kind of like you know the first time you ever get a chance to to dance with your with your partner and the song is something absurd like you want to pick the right soundtrack for your life but a lot of times it's just some meaningless trifle that happens to be playing while you're having these moments
1: exactly yeah it's crazy
0: (laughs) and and uh, you know listen I, i i joke and i laugh and all but i do have to I, I do have to t- to say that I've been there. I, I do remember <laughs> thinking to myself, man, I really want to hold her hand, but she it, she it it's just not going to go well. I'm not going to pick the right moment. She's going to pull away. Uh, that's, yeah. That's, that's, a, that's a really, you know, that's that's a lot to be thinking about on a date.
1: Mm-hmm. Especially with the Lego movie happening Especially in the background. Especially with the Lego
0: movie. <laughs> but perfect. But I'm happy to report that everything is awesome. So well done.
1: It is. Yeah. Ms. Taylor, <laughs> what
0: is your sick day movie?
1: Um, Surprisingly, it's Bridesmaids, which is interesting because when I first saw the movie, I didn't really rate it that much. I was like, you know what, this is okay. But anytime I'm just feeling a little bit down or a little bit under the weather, I always just chuck that film on. And I don't know what it is about the film. I think it's just the speech that Melissa McCarthy has when she's like, you know, you're your problem, but you're also your solution. It kind of just snaps me out of whatever I'm going through. Um, and I just remember, you know, my life isn't that bad. And it somehow makes me feel better because of that.
0: I was watching that last week, actually. So well-timed. <laughs> I, I mean, the only thing that would kind of throw me about that movie, if, if it was a sick day for me, is there's that whole scene where they all get food poisoning.
1: Yes, yeah. So I, I, tried I to would worry about it. that. Yeah, I try and avoid it if I'm feeling that sick. But if I've got like a cold and stuff, I can deal with right. it. Right.
0: <laughs> right. I mean, it's funny. It's, it's, a, it, for me still, it's a hysterical scene that will always make me laugh. Mm hmm. Yes. Um, it's right great. down to somebody was making, fun, somebody was making jokes about Ariana Grande at the, yeah. uh, at the Grammys last week, with her great big like taffeta princess dress, they're like you're really doing it, aren't you? I think <laughs> like, I'll have to include that picture in the show notes so that people can understand what the heck I am talking about.
1: Definitely,
0: um, yeah, but th- that's that's a good one. I do know a lot of people mention comedies on days when they're sick. I always say like the last thing I want to do though when I am feeling sick is is try to laugh. Like I, you know, I want to be in a good mood or anything like that. But if I am if I am laughing too much, it's usually counterproductive. Stevie, what's a film that left you speechless?
1: Okay, so I've two Hmm. for very different reasons. (laughs) Um, The first one is Parasite because I just rewatched it in cinemas for the first time since I first saw it back in, I think it was May or June last year. Um, And we went to go see it. It was a sold out screening and just everything just hit different with that film. When there was a whole big crowd watching it Hmm. all going through the same emotions that you were going through. Like people were audibly like, gasping (laughs) kind of holding their breath and everything and um we took a couple of people who hadn't seen the film before and we all just kind of looked at each other at the end and we're just like we don't know how to you know process what is just happening because obviously you know the last half of that film is just very stressful from beginning to end so that was one of them um the next one that left me speechless was Cats, which I also <laughs> saw at a sold-out screening um, this week because one of the cinemas in town put on, I think it was called a cat's Catastrophe screening, where obviously everybody was there to just kind of take the piss out of this film. Um, I wasn't expecting the film to be as terrible as it was, and yeah, at the end of it, my friend and I just looked at each other and we were like, how do we go about life now after seeing this film? Like it, we thought we might have post-traumatic stress disorder after seeing this film because it's just so terrible. And we just couldn't put into words why it's so terrible. And we couldn't process what we'd just seen. So yeah, those are two films that have made me speechless in the past two weeks.
0: Two films that have so little in common. It's not funny. As for cats, um, mm. I mean, <laughs> this yeah. is, this is
1: I, I still don't have anything to say about that I, You know what?
0: I, I have not seen it. I refuse. I know more than I need to about the musical, about the stage musical. Uh, I have never liked Andrew Lloyd Webber as a composer. And the story for that musical is beyond absurd, And I've just I've never understood the fascination with it. It's it's like it's not even like, okay. But the music is great. So just go for the music. It's like no, the music is only okay. Um, Mm -hmm. And 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 I had I I never understood why Universal first of all would buy that and would make that and would push it up the line to to make they they they're still holding on to the rights for wicked the wizard of oz prequel that is so much better of a musical they they couldn't get it ready in time so they had to flip it they had cats that was going to follow it but they decided to switch the two and i really hope although i you know i think it's possible i really hope that this is not the film that kills the genre musicals have a tendency to go away for a while if there's one that comes along that's really bad and i'm like okay there's a lot of musicals that are coming that need to still be made, that I really hope still get made, even though this thing is a is, is a catastrophic failure. Um, so on the one hand, while well, I'm not surprised that you went and saw it and and were I I'm listen I am surprised that you went and, spot, and saw it because your your time is valuable. <laughs>
1: Um, the tickets were only five dollars, so that's why I went.
0: <laughs> you, you, I, I, I listen. I understand it's wasting five dollars. I don't understand <laughs> wasting two hours.
1: Um, the way I put it is that I guess curiosity killed the cat. Yeah, um. <laughs> yeah.
0: you're young. But You've got all kinds of time ahead of you. What the heck?
1: Exactly. It was a really good time seeing it with a crowd of people who were all there for the same reason that I was there. You know, um, it was. Highly enjoyable. Everybody was just laughing at moments that you know were not supposed to be funny, but they were. And everybody was just clapping and everyone erupted into this huge applause at the end, mainly because I think that they were just really grateful that it was over. (laughs) Um, (laughs) So it was really cool seeing it with a a bunch of people. But I can't imagine, you know, going on Christmas Day or whenever it, it came out expecting to see a good film yeah. and um that's what you got
0: i mean that that's my only thing that i would call audible on with this whole thing is this movie started getting cult screenings way too quick i'm like no no no, no. we're not <laughs> we're not going there just yet this movie is a bomb and we need to you know label it a bomb otherwise <laughs> they're going to think that that we actually appreciate it so like the, the, there's been there's been at least one here in toronto where it's like come sing along with it and be stupid and you know like, like heckle the movie and i'm like and i'm thinking to myself hold on a second here we're rocky horroring this movie way <laughs> too fast we need to give it some time in the penalty box but that's just me all right yeah last i mean
1: th- universal just had Doolittle come out as well so they're not I, having I don't a quarter they really are not they need to lay off with the talking animals <laughs> <laughs> Dear God.
0: all right last but not least for now stevie taylor what would what is a film quote that would be your epitaph
1: I was really trying to think of something like you know really deep and meaningful, but for some reason all I could think about was um, Meryl Streep's speech in *The Devil Wears Prada* that she does about blue and cer- cerulean and <laughs> and Hathaway's blue jumper. For some reason, I just want that entire thing just put on my epitaph. Why? I don't know. I really don't know. It just kept coming to my head, and I'm just like, why do I want that specific thing? I think it's just an iconic moment for me. Meryl Streep in that movie is everything. So um, okay. that's where I'm at at the moment. I
0: got nothing, <laughs> but that's that's
1: it's fair. <laughs> that
0: would certainly that would certainly keep anybody who comes to your mark your your headstone perplexed, and maybe mm-hmm. that's the way you want it
1: exactly exactly (laughs) all right
0: that's more about stevie taylor we will learn more about her when she comes back for a fourth time i promise it will not take whatever it was six years to get her back on for a fourth (laughs) appearance. um but we have a film to talk about today uh this morning and uh, a film that i'm really excited to talk about so come on back right after this it's time for the new slang les miserables is up right after this i was happy in the haze of a drunken
1: hour but heaven Looking
0: for a job and then I found a job, and heaven knows I'm miserable now. Before we launch into our review segment of the film, we should point out that Stevie Taylor works for the company in New Zealand that is rapping Les miserables And you know, while there is something of a conflict of interest there, Stevie's opinions for the purpose of this show of are her own. They don't reflect her company, even though given what i know about stevie she's going to come down on the side of the positive but still that's important to to point out and we want to make note of that off the top because we are talking on the new slang this episode about les miserables the new film directed and written by laj Lai. it's co-written by giordano giordini with alexis Manetti. It's based on the short film of the same name. I'm getting a little bit better at pronouncing names now that I'm a little bit more awake. He says as he gets ready to talk about the cast, the film stars Damien Bernard, Alexis Mineni, uh Jabril Zonga, Issa Perika, Steve Tenchu, and Almami Canote. Les Miz is set in modern day Paris where a cop named Ruiz has transferred to a new unit in a new part of town. There, he is assigned to a street crimes unit with two officers named Chris and Guada. Chris shows us early on that he thinks very little of abusing his power, and Guada shows us that he has no qualms about being complacent to Chris's abuse of authority. Things in the neighborhood they patrol are bad. They get even worse when the gypsies that run a circus in town have something go awry. The situation brings the cops to a housing block made up of mostly Muslim immigrants, and when they think about starting some shit, the cops get in the middle of it and manage to settle the tension. However, in trying to resolve the situation, Ruiz, Chris, and Guada go and make things way worse for themselves by letting a bad situation get out of control. Things are tough, things are violent, and things are tense, but such is life for Les Miserables at the end of the day. Without giving much away, Les Miserables ends with a quote by the man who popularized the title, Victor Hugo. The quote, following a moment of absolute tension, goes as such. Remember this, my friends, there are no such thing as bad plants or bad men. There are only bad cultivators. So, pop quiz, hotshot. Do you believe that? Do you believe this film proves that point, that there are no bad men or bad plants or only bad cultivators?
1: I do think in the context of the film, it is definitely correct, because although the characters... I mean, all sides of the characters, they all do pretty bad things. I think that they are, you know, just trying to survive in the conditions that they are in, you know? Um, And I think that that's particularly shown with the cops at least is there's a small montage towards the end of the film where they all kind of go home after their day at work. And, you know, Chris is a father of a couple of daughters and, and Guad is kind of, you know, breaking down in front of his mum, and Ruiz, you know, goes home to call his son, who he's estranged from. It's just that little moment of humanity where you kind of just realise, you know, they were just doing their job, and obviously their way of doing their job is, you know, it's not what you would want it to be, but maybe, you know, they're just trying to serve the community as best as they think possible so i do think that quote and it's really nice touch to have that quote at the end to just kind of remind us that it is really the conditions and you know the expectations and things that they're put under that are contributing to the things that are that happen in this film
0: yeah i mean i sort of i i do understand what Lajlai is going for by including that quote at the end of the film. Um, I would argue, though, no disrespect to Victor Hugo or to Lajlai, that the thought is incomplete that, yes, there are only bad cultivators, there are no bad plants or bad men, but I would also argue that there are um, bad conditions, there are bad environments to try to grow anything I, i think of you know if there if there's a patch of your yard that you think to yourself i want to plant some crocuses there and grow them and the flowers just will not grow no matter how much you talk to them no matter how much you water them no matter how much you try to fertilize them it's just conditions that are inhospitable to that type of plant maybe the soil isn't right or maybe it gets too much sunlight or too little and because of that the you know, the life just cannot flourish. And I think that is really what's at the heart of Les Miserables is while we see hope, This, this movie, despite so much darkness and, you know, without getting too far ahead of ourselves, an ending that is really, really tense, I do feel like there is hope buried in this movie. You have to admit that, the conditions of this environment are inhospitable to cultivating life and to cultivating hope and to cultivating change. Um, This film first came to my attention uh, after you were tweeting about it. And uh, so I kind of know the answer to this question, but I feel like in general, uh, you dug this movie, right?
1: Yeah, definitely. Um, It's quite interesting because I did see it back in July when it was at the New Zealand Film Festival. And I, you know, I I did like it at that point, but I came away from it and I was just like, you know what, that was okay. (laughs) But I saw about 25 other films after that and none of those films stuck with me in the way that this film did. And then I just finished rewatching it about an hour ago and this film was incredible. And I think the reason why I kind of dug it a lot more this time around was that I knew what was coming. Whereas the first time I was just kind of like, where is this film going? Like what's kind of happening? And then the final act kind of just threw me a bit because it seemed to kind of come out of nowhere when I was watching it at that time. Um, But this time I was able to just, you know, watch the tensions rise and I knew that the tensions were rising and what they were leading up to. So it was very interesting seeing it again because i can appreciate what an incredible incredible film this is
0: i was caught somewhat off guard with this movie i'd read about it during tiff when i was looking at the program and um i I, you know i I knew that it was getting more and more attention as award season was going along and it was up for things like best international film at the oscars and i believe it was up for um i think it was it was up for a golden globe as well um Mm -hmm. But I, you know, the the title will throw you because you see that title and you automatically start thinking of the Victor Hugo film, if not the musical. And I finally caught a trailer for it a few weeks ago at the Lightbox because um, they're who are showing it in Toronto right now. In case anybody's wondering why we're talking about this movie, that's kind of harder to find uh, in the at the uh, beginning of February on this show. Um, it's because right now in Toronto, it's getting play at our Cinematech. And when I caught the trailer, the trailer for this movie is really deceptive. It actually shows um, not exactly the inciting incident of the story, but it shows the real crux where things really get difficult. Um, A situation involving a confrontation between the police, the citizens of this block, and a drone that records the footage. And that trailer is not all that representative of what is to come in this movie and so i was a little bit deceived i I thought that that was going to be the crux of the whole story it's really not so going into it with just bits and pieces of knowing what was coming i was just knocked out i was i was so drawn in by how these characters are fleshed out how this story is fleshed out um how everything fits together so well Um, that, that it, it was surprised. It's kind of hard to surprise me anymore with film. So I'm really happy when it happens. Um, you know, we, we begin this movie with jubilation. We begin this movie with, I believe it's the 2018, um, world cup, um, where, where France wins and we watch over the credits. We watch everybody wearing blue, everybody pulling for this player or that player saying i bet she scores one, i bet she scores two. um and it's a, it's an incredible opening because we're about to watch a story that's all about division and all about you know tribes and region and neighborhood and you know these really closed off sects of a community. So it's Uh, how did you take to the movie opening with everyone that we see just identifying as French?
1: Yeah. I mean, the interesting thing was, is that when I first caught wind of this film way back when we got it at work, all I knew of was that particular shot of all the people in front of the Arc de Triomphe with the French flags and stuff. And I was like, In my head, I was just like, okay, very interesting. This is going to be a very yay France kind of film. I don't really know anything (laughs) else about it kind of thing. And then, you know, seeing it at the start, I was like, oh, okay. So this is not really sure what's going on here kind of thing. But it's an interesting way of starting the film because, you know, everybody is really happy and they're all being very patriotic. And there's so many shots of people just – being absolutely joyous about, you know, sport and being absolutely joyous about the country that they live in and everything. But then, you know, everybody's brought together, but the rest of the film is kind of about how everything's falling apart. So it was very interesting juxtaposition to start it like that and to kind of set the wheels into motion from that particular... Um, shot and montage and stuff is very interesting
0: i mean the crazy thing again is that as i said the film is quite hopeful so maybe it's it's kind of it, it's sort of a, a prayer that opens that, that kind of gets mirrored by the prayer that closes the movie that unity is possible Mm -hmm. you know it's 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 a really ballsy way to make its point um i should say as way as well by the way i really do wish that the tagline for this movie was yay france yeah (laughs) (laughs) um but then we go on and we meet this unit these three cops that are gonna serve as our our protagonists for the film we meet ruiz the new guy chris who is the leader of the unit and guada the the you know the Chris's partner for for several years now. I think he says he's been working this block for like ten years, which is crazy because he looks really young too. So it's like he must have been assigned there just as a twenty something out of school. What did you make of of the three men who who are at the forefront of this movie?
1: I find it. I mean, you couldn't find three more different people, and it's very interesting because you kind of see many different perspectives out of these three cops. I mean, they're all doing the same job, you know? Um, So it was interesting, especially Ruiz just coming in, you know, it was his first day at work and you couldn't ask for a worse first day at work for (laughs) that guy. But, um, you know, he's coming in and you kind of see at the start, he's like, you know, seeing all of the things that Chris is doing that are not so appropriate. And he's, Like, you know, you've got to stop this kind of thing. And he comes in being like, I'm going to change things, as you do when you first start a job, although most people's jobs aren't as difficult as this one. Um, And you've also got Chris, who's just very, very stuck in his ways and kind of, I don't know, I don't know whether he is a bit power hungry or he kind of is on a bit of a power trip, but that kind of seems where he's at. And then you have Guada, who's more complacent and just kind of goes with the flow of things and you know as he says he says that he's been on those streets for 10 years and this is just how he's surviving out there so it's very interesting to see these three perspectives even though they're all kind of you know they're doing the same job
0: Yeah you're you're absolutely right in that the film goes out of its way to paint these three men as three different perspectives within the same perspective that being the perspective of the law um ruiz the actor that got to play ruiz um i mean people might know damien bernard from dunkirk he was the french soldier who kind of tried to infiltrate his way into an english unit just to get off that beach um ruiz has these eyes that are Huge. He's got like really like almost buggy eyes. Like he's got almost like Rami Malek type eyes, mm-hmm. and it really serves his role so well at the beginning because he's just he's he's doing what a good person their their early part of the job would be, which is shut up and just watch and listen. You know, and just try to take things in rather than showing up and throwing your weight around and changing shit that you don't agree with. Um, so the camera always seems to kind of come back to ruiz and it's a great way to establish this world is to go keep going back to him and and watch him look at the area that he is now tasked with protecting and how fractioned off it is and how some of it looks like it wants to evolve and some of it looks like it's stuck um and also just watch these two men who have been working together for so long that they've fallen into their rhythm that somebody new comes and really underlines what that rhythm involves you know like i mean chris adheres to some of the rules there's other rules he doesn't give a crap about guada there's sometimes where he just keeps his mouth shut there's other times where he actually joins in with chris So, I think the film, by using these three men as its main storytellers, it really goes out of its way to give them life where ordinarily a three-cop unit would just be a stereotype.
1: I do think it's a very interesting way of telling a story, which, you know, we could have seen before. Like, the material isn't necessarily anything new, having you know a bad cop or a bunch of bad cops doing bad things. So it's very interesting to see a perspective on it where being a bad cop, I guess, by its very definition, is a method of survival for these guys or it's just the way that things are in this particular community. And then also having Ruiz as a reference point for the audience. Mm-hmm. Like, you're right, we always do go back to him Because, you know, we're kind of in his shoes. We would like to think that if we were, you know, in his position that we would stand up for what's right and stuff like that. But you do see him learning throughout the film that, you know, these other cops are doing these things in order to try and, you know, maintain their position in the community and to maintain some sort of peace in the community because they know You know how to do that and they know all of the ins and outs of the community and everything like that
0: see what i love about them too is you do get a moment very early on where you see that despite their you know uh unprofessionalism is putting it mildly um that they do get shit done when it matters when the first time we see the gypsies and the muslims ready to kind of come to blows when the gypsies get something stolen from them ruiz chris and guada very quickly get into the middle of the argument and you watch them do something that you don't often see cops do which is actually de-escalate the situation you see them physically get in between the two groups you see them you know not verbally push back you see them not physically ever really try to assert themselves and do what police are there to do, which is keep the peace. And it's a great touch because far too many of these movies come along and they just try to want to tell the story of cops are bad, cops are bad, cops are bad. And, you know, yes, cops are bad, but cops also sometimes know how to do their job. So I feel like. Showing that showing Ruiz, Chris, and Guada get in there, be professional, be efficient was important in terms of juxtaposing what will happen later on when they're not efficient and not professional, and they lose sight of what they're supposed to do. Having that moment early on goes a long way to really under underscore that
1: another thing is that you know that they're so ingrained in this community that they Even when they're trying to find out information, they know where to look on Instagram Which Mm -hmm. is a thing that you and I would do if we wanted to find out information kind of thing and it seems so kind of frivolous that cops in all of their position of power that You know would think that they would have that their first thought is to go to Instagram And that's actually how they find out the information that they need to find out kind of thing because they really do know the world that they're in and the community that they're in. And again, you can tell that Lajlai knows exactly what he's talking about. He knows exactly the world that he wants to build with this. And he also knows that it's going to explode at any moment. And you just see these little things and it just keeps escalating and escalating and escalating. And it's very interesting to see it through the eyes of the cops as well because they are right in the middle of it. And the other ones that are interacting with all of the different groups that are all having tensions with each other. So, yeah, again, it's it's an interesting way of telling a story that could have gone down a route that it's the same kind of story that we've seen before.
0: See, what I love about this story, too, is it really goes out of its way to establish the sense of place, this block of Paris that's been carved up between... Various immigrant groups and between people who have lived there for a long time and between people who are new there and even within the groups they're like you know we have these immigrants over here and these immigrants over there and it's crazy because on the one hand you can see. How it wants to evolve. You see characters like there's the, there's the one character who they they always call him the mayor. Um, actually, that's and that's what his credited, that's what his name is credited as is the mayor. We don't actually really learn his name, um, but you know that he used to run with a lot of these gangs, and now he wants to be more of a person who is seen as an elder. You know, like he's the one who tries to keep the kids in line. He's the one who tries to keep some of the, the, the criminals in his area in line. And you know, that a person doesn't just drop into that position. So clearly the mayor has a, has a checkered past at least, you know, and it all comes down to how all of these people are just jammed into this one small patch of geography and have to find a way to coexist. This movie goes a long way to showing how communities in the new century are just so tense because we have so many people jammed into of of such different backgrounds and seemingly getting on each other's nerves jammed into such a small amount of space.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think that that's really shown there's a lot of drone shots in this film, both because, you know, one of the major kind of plot points revolves around a drone, but just the drone shots are so stunning because you see these huge high rise apartments that have like thousands of people in them. And they're all kind of in the same situation, but they're all from different places and everything. And like another great shot was the drone shot over the, market which is just interesting because it just looks so insignificant from up there and everything just kind of looks so insignificant and I think it's also really interesting that this is a film that's set in Paris and when you see Paris in film it's always so romantic and such a nice place to be and everything but here we're just seeing it in a completely different light where these people are just on the fringes of you know this beautiful city and everything and they're all just Jam packed into this really tight area, and there's nothing really for them to grow from. I mean, one of the things that the kids like to hang out with uh, hang out at it's like an empty, I guess it's like a skate park, maybe, and they just kind of slide down on cardboard boxes, kind of thing. Yeah. Like, it's obviously not the best place to be, but people are just kind of making do with what they have there which is another fascinating thing because it's just such a different way of seeing Paris.
0: These apartment buildings that we see, they're not in the greatest of shape. Uh, You Mm -hmm. can tell that the the companies that built them or the companies that are supposed to maintain them really aren't holding up their end. You, You know, you see like mailboxes that are broken. You see doors that have spray paint on them. The hallways just look like junk. And yet, you know, to people who, who come to these neighborhoods, sometimes it's, it's just the best they can do. Right. And it's the best they can hope for. So they just, they need to make a go of it. And the movie really goes to great lengths to show, like you said, like watching these kids, like you want these kids to get out. You don't want these kids just to be tooling around on their phones all day. You want them to get out and be active and get exercise and interact and be social. And it's like, yeah, we can do that, but we're just going to go to the vacant lot and you know slide down the concrete how much fun is that mom um and and this film makes that a key part of this story and a key part of the tension within everything that's going on is that along with the fact that you have differing backgrounds and presumptions of this background that background you've got nowhere to go you know people are on, on people surround you on all sides right down to early on one of the minor squabbles early on in this movie is about a merchant at a local market and how his stall is slowly growing bigger and bigger and kind of creeping in on other people's action that's that's a lovely metaphor for how this Mm. movie plays out is all of these people are slowly spreading out their stall more and more and other people don't like it
1: and just the way that this film is crafted and the way that you know That this is a very lived experience. I mean, it's even down to Salah, his kebab shop. It's the most unassuming kebab shop you could ever see, but it's so important to the plot, kind of thing. But there's no reason to dress it up. It's just kind of it is what it is, and everything in this film is what it is, and it's very clear about being like that.
0: Well, even Salah, the thing I like about him, this movie is really economical and really sharp in how it's constructed, because Salah, we learn, is somebody who used to run with some of the bangers in this neighborhood, and he is trying to turn his life and trying to be something, something different. He's trying to make more of his life, right? And so he's running this restaurant. But even though he's running this restaurant, he hasn't completely abandoned who and what he used to be so when the cops go to talk to him he's not going to talk back to them just as you know a normal citizen and a normal merchant he's going to talk to them as a person who used to be the kind of person who they would question and they would harass so he uses metaphors about well you know what you're looking for a lion why are you looking for a lion a lion should be looking for you as you know you are prey to the lion you are not the predator um and it really what it does is it helps the movie do so much in so little time. I mean, this movie's just over a hundred minutes. It's so succinct and it packs so much weight into a lot of these characters, a lot of these moments, a lot of these settings, that it's able to do so much in so little time. You know, I'm I'm the kind of person who likes to talk about how Television is a really great way to build a world because you have a whole season to to establish setting and establish character. You have anywhere between 10 and 20 hours. This movie packs a whole lot of setting and a whole lot of character and a whole lot of world building into, you know, 108 minutes. And it's so wonderful to see.
1: Mm -hmm. Like you could say this film being a TV series easily because of the amounts of different characters and different groups of people that are in here. But the fact that it is able to be all jam packed in there in around a hundred minutes, which is rare at the moment because everybody loves making three hour movies at the moment Um, (laughs) to have it all like that. And to feel like you actually know all of the different groups of people. They're not just flitting in and out of the, story is it is really rare to say that and to say something crafted as well as this one is
0: yeah and you know we we see that time and again in this movie like we see that when ruiz and sala are bargaining for one of the kids who the cops are trying to track down we see it um when guada goes looking for that kid he go like he actually like is able to enter one of the one of the citizens apartments and he's able to enter it because he has a similar background to the woman who he's trying to enter her apartment without a warrant. And the only reason why he's able to come in and not the others in the unit is because they they come from the same place. And when he goes in, he sees what they're doing and he's able to explain it to the others. It's all of these really elegant shorthand ways to establish the relationships between these characters that you don't see in film so often.
1: I think that is, it's another great thing is that it is from the point of view of all of these cops, especially Chris and Guada, who know these groups of people. And yeah, as you say, Guada was able to go into that woman's house because, you know, he, he is from the same kind of place and he does know how to interact with her in a way that he kind of gets what he wants kind of thing so i don't know everything is just such i feel like it's just such a lived experience in this film and you can tell that these things do happen and it's almost like documentary like in some way
0: i think that comes back to what you were saying about the the drone footage right like it almost Mm -hmm. looks like um it almost that almost looks like more documentary footage where it's really trying to establish this corner of Paris and this community and what it goes like it, it rather than, you know, you could have very easily got a wonderful 35 millimeter tracking shot that would have made it all look so sweet. But by yeah. doing it in a way that any person with, you know, 300 bucks and an electronic store at their disposal <laughs> would record it, it, it lends that authenticity to it that you're describing.
1: The thing about those drone shots is that it makes everything just look so small. And it's no wonder that there's so many tensions within this community because that packed into a very, very tiny place. There's bound to be something that's happening.
0: Is this movie hopeful for a moment or two? It feels as though this movie is going to end on a hopeful note. Um Especially when it seems like this film all, is all going to take place in one day, and then we get to the next morning, and a lot of that dissipates. but even with what we find, what we experience on day two is do you feel like this movie has hope at its center, or is this movie just saying, You know what guys we 're all just screwed, so just do what you can
1: an art. I think it's interesting because the people that are most affected in this film are actually the kids. Mm -hmm. And there's a couple of kids that are, you know, they're caught doing things and they are kind of the ones that are affected by it. And then I find it very interesting how that dynamic changes without giving too much away towards the end of the film. And that's interesting because we often equate kids with hope, like the kids are our future kind of thing and all of that. But these kids are actually just internalizing the surroundings that they're in and stuff. And, yeah, it's difficult because I don't know if they're going to improve on the things that they've been privy to and the things that they see all the grown-ups doing and stuff because – yeah, that ending kind of makes it seem like those kids have all had enough <laughs> and, <laughs> and they're going to be led down the track of doing something really bad and doing something very, very violent. So yeah. I just, I don't know. I mean, you would think so given the very beginning of the film with all of the French flags and being joyous and stuff, you would think that there's some sort of hope because why would you open a film like this? with that but i don't think there is a lot of hope with this film
0: i guess if i want to be optimistic and if i want to be hopeful and find the hope in this movie i need to hang it on the mentors you know if if hugo is correct and i've already said at the top of this segment that i don't think he is entirely correct but if he is correct and there's no bad plants or bad people there's only bad cultivators I have faith in the cultivators of this neighborhood. I have faith in Salah and the mayor and Ruiz, I should say, that when push comes to shove, they will do the right thing and take control of, of a bad situation. And, and that's the thing: like you see them all flooding into this situation when when things really go sideways at the end of this movie. I want to believe that even if kids do what kids do, and that is not think, which is what all kids Mm. do, including us, um, that the gardeners of this particular garden, the cultivators, they will be the ones to do the thinking and to do the teaching and to hopefully start to pull kids out of the fray instead of stoking These tensions, like, I think that was, that was the thing was even with, you know, how badly the situation that leads to everything goes, like how Chris Ruiz and Guada handle something so poorly and just add one more instance of police brutality onto the very, very long historical list of police brutality that. There's contrition, there's understanding, there's recognition. Um, you know, the the there's a big plot point surrounding the recording of that incident and how that recording is handled, who does what with it, and how. I think goes a long way to underline the hope of this movie that people can do the right thing and can impart that upon our next generation now whether or not that sticks but as you say um you know given the kids and how the kids are angry and the kids are stupid and the kids are prone to taking a bad situation and making worse that remains to be seen but um as far as the hope of this movie it's it's strange for me to say that i actually look to the adults for hope and how they choose to guide the children going forward
1: yeah the ending is very very interesting and i think anybody who sees this film will go away from it just wondering and especially with the way that that final shot goes mm-hmm. there's a lot to unpack there and there's a lot of things to think about um and yeah i think that's the kind of beauty of the film is that you do have to make your own conclusions but you're given a lot there to you know make those conclusions from
0: yeah i mean like listen right down to the fact that this film seems like it's ending 10 minutes before it does Mm -hmm. Uh, any other film any other film with less attention to construction would add on those 10 minutes and completely fall apart but this film is able to add on this what is what could almost be an epilogue but is in fact its final chapter and still succeed it's really impressive
1: yeah definitely
0: yeah well we end every uh review here on the matinee cast with a souvenir or something tangible or intangible. If you would take away from the movie and keep you would Stevie Taylor, New Zealand, what would be your souvenir from Laj lies? Les Miserables.
1: Honestly, I feel really bad for saying this, but, um, <laughs> even since I saw this film, I've been obsessed with the guy that plays Guada, um, Jibril Zonga. So okay. I would take him. <laughs> um, we're so obsessed with him that we even have a photo of him up in our office because we are <laughs> really professional. So it would probably be him, um, but that's purely on superficial grounds. But I definitely would not take a lion cub that into trouble. <laughs> I mean, they look so cute, though. I-
0: no. <laughs> when he's trying to oh, growl no. and it just comes out as a little yelp. Oh, God, want a lion cub. <laughs> I mean, you know, as long as it doesn't come with the baggage that that one tends to come with.
1: Yes, um, yeah.
0: My souvenir, it you know, it's a souvenir I could get quite easily, actually. I really want a drone. That's fair. You know, it lo- it looks like a lot of fun to just kind of fly the drone around. I would try not to do what uh what 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 the character who does it like he he's using the drone for some kind of nefarious things but (laughs) still just in terms of capturing footage and and you know using it for for filmmaking purposes i think would be really a lot of fun so seeing it used in this movie um i'm like man i could really go with a drone um so that's my superficial (laughs) souvenir we rate here on the matinee cast on a scale of one to four stars stevie taylor what do you give Lage lies les miserables
1: i'm gonna give it a 3.5 out of four
0: i'm with you um this is this is certainly one of the best films i saw last year um it's economical nature kind of holds it back a little bit also just in terms of what it's up against on the landscape of 2019 holds it back a little bit but this is a really special film so when i say three and a half i'm not like docking it marks because i think it's it fails at certain criteria it's just in comparison to what else is out there um but Mm -hmm. like it's it's a really really enthusiastic and optimistic three and a half which i think you're probably in the same mindset yeah yeah definitely i
1: cannot wait to see what the director does next
0: yeah me too yeah Um, and that's that's the thing i'm really um interested to to see anything else he does um and i I count myself a fan right now hey maybe we're wrong maybe you think that this film is just one more you know half-ass story of police, police brutality maybe you think this was one of the best films of the year and we're underselling it let me know Ryan at the Twitter, where I'm matinee underscore ca, or facebook.com slash dark matinee. What do you think of Large Lies? My name is Arab. Come on back right after this. We're going to take a quick break and uh, play the other side right after this. we're back she's stevie taylor i'm ryan mcneil it's matinee cast 241 we've been talking about les Rob, the 2019 film out of france one of the best international films of the year um great year for france in terms of international films um you know because you have film like this and a film like portrait of a lady on fire both coming out at the same time and unfortunately only one of them can really go on to acclaim um, but, uh, this is the part of the show where we turn the record over, play the other side, talk about further reading that could go along with, uh, uh, the film that we talked about. Um, and we are, we are going to be kind of quick about this segment of the show because it is both very late for Ms. Taylor and very early for your humble narrator. Um, Stevie, where did your brain go after Les Miserables? What is something that somebody could go on to that would make a good, uh, companion piece?
1: I mean, I was when I first saw it. I was talking to someone, and they said it reminded them a lot of La Haine and Do the Right Thing and Training Day and everything. And I actually haven't seen any of those films. So oh my goodness, <laughs> I know I'm so bad. Um, so I can't say that. But interestingly enough, I think it's because I just recently rewatched this film. It kind of reminded me a bit of Short Term 12, which was the film by mm. distant Daniel Cretin from 2013 with Brie Larson. Yeah. And I think this is mostly because they just rewatched Short Term 12 not so long ago. But it kind of has the same similarities in that Short Term 12 comes from a place where it's a very lived experience and everything feels quite authentic. And then it's kind of somewhat through the point of view of somebody who's just coming into this world, which is Rami Malik's character in that film. And he kind of sees all of these things and he's a bit of a reference point for the audience to try and figure out if things are okay or things are not okay. And then you've also got Brie Larson kind of fighting the system where, you know, she's trying to help all of these kids to have a better life, but then there's still the overarching like, just the way that the health system is, and that's going to prevent her from doing that. So, I mean, they're not very similar fil- very similar films, but they do kind of have very similar aspects to them, I guess, which is very interesting.
0: Well, I mean, the other thing that they have in common, which is, a, I, I don't know if it was intentional or not, is both Short Term 12 and Les Miserables were feature adaptations of short films.
1: Yes. Yeah, so, definitely.
0: Which is... It's interesting because we, you know, we we rail against remakes and we rail against reboots all the time, but yet we've never really thought about what happens when somebody takes a short and expands it. Um, I noticed that um, last year I came across a film that is now on Apple TV called Hala, where the director had created a short version of it um previously and expanded upon it to turn it into a feature um it's a really interesting idea because i would think of a short film as a finished work you know i wouldn't think of it as something that i really want to expand and expound and adapt into a longer piece of work but both short term 12 and les miserables and you know certainly as i mentioned Hala really shows that in the right circumstances that can actually work out quite well
1: yeah, definitely. And I mean I haven't seen the short film that Lamb's rub is based on. No, mean but neither. you can you can see that it is built from, you know, a very small idea. So it would be very interesting to see the short film that mm-hmm. it's based on.
0: I think the first place my brain went to just because I was thinking of french crime when i saw this movie was i went back to 2015 to a film that also played Cannes and also won the Palme d'or that year have you ever seen a movie called DePon?
1: no i haven't but i've been meaning to
0: yeah it's by jacques odiar uh, who also did a prophet um he also did uh, rust and bone um with marion Cotillard um depon um the lead actor in depon does an amazing job in this movie um it's uh it's his his, he's got a very long name that i won't even try pronouncing before seven o'clock on a sunday morning um but his character's name is depon and it's about a group of um, tamil refugees who leave sri lanka and come to france and they're trying to get their lives back together and you know the tensions and the violence from their home situation follow them to a new place and it's the kind of thing that has become the new reality all over the world is, you know, we, we need to give people safe Harbor when they're trying to get away from unbelievable atrocities. And the unfortunate thing that happens is sometimes those atrocities follow them. And so watching a movie like deep though, you see, you get a, a, a true understanding of Just how much it takes out of any immigrant to try to assimilate even this much, you know, to try to make their way to try to become established in a new community, to try to make new connections and know who they can trust and who they can't trust and how they can even leave some of what brought them here behind. It really goes a long way to underscoring that. And I think it's, it's a movie that even though it's now, you know, six years old or five years old is still as timely as it was when it was released.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I definitely need to see that film.
0: What else did you think about when you were watching Les Miserables? Any other, anything else?
1: I did think of Fruitvale Station, which mm. is funny that <laughs> you mentioned that the last time I was on, that was the last film I cried at. Um, that was another one, both for obviously the story of it, but then, I mean, this was a feature debut by Ryan Coogler, and Les Mis is now a feature debut of Large Lie, and those are two just very explosive feature debuts, and you kind of watch those films, and you're like, yeah, these directors have just announced that they're in the room and they're going to do big things so that was another one i thought of and then also the hate you give um from last year was another film that i thought of again very similar themes um and yeah those are the two that really stuck out in mind the
0: hate you give i did not see that film but uh try to contain your surprise people i did read the book um i i they're both great stories that um take a lot of what happens in um les miserables and drops it into the north american version of the same problems i I mean Mm. that's both the amazing and the sad thing about les miserables is that it reminds us that a lot of what's going on in north america is going on all over the world you know it's it's this is these problems that are affecting tensions surrounding the law and tensions surrounding um you know everything from immigrants to people of color to people of lesser means they are not strictly a north american city problem they are a worldwide problem that hopefully we will all live long enough to see the end of um so, hate you give. I can't really say too much about besides the fact that it's a good book and I think people should read it. Um, I would say you're right if Laj Lai's career path is anything like Ryan Coogler, and that we can see him applying his artistic sensibility to great big glossy studio productions like Creed and Black Panther. I'm certainly on board because I love. Mm-hmm. I-, I love when art, when when smaller artists get a chance to paint on a very big palette I, i've had long long arguments with people about how they really wish that small that, that artists who make independent films could just stick to making their independent films because every time they sign on for studio production that takes them out of the equation for two years and i say no no no, no. I'm, I'm on it for two reasons one because i want to see these type of storytellers tell the big stories i don't want them just to stay in their small canvases and two they'll they will then take the money they make from these very big paychecks and they'll make that many more of their stories and if you don't believe me if you don't think that the director of thor 3 took his marvel money and said i'm gonna go make the hitler movie (laughs) you're deceiving yourself so that's i i'm i'm totally on board with both Fruitvale station and the hate you give as, as other sides especially because it makes me wonder what lodge lie is going to go on to um now that the world is taking notice of his work um i'm going to cheat a little bit mm. on on this i'm going to break my own rule and something i think would make a good other side to this film is actually a song um which stay tuned at the end of this episode because instead of um instead of franz ferdinand i'll i'll drop this song into the end of this podcast have you do you know a band named ibayi
1: no okay. um
0: sisters twin sisters yes they are french they're from paris um they're um afro french cuban and they are twin sisters who are they're 25 now but i mean they could easily pass for like 19 ibayi has a song called deathless off their second album uh the the album's called ash it came out uh in 2017 um kamasi washington if you're a fan of him he plays on the song as well and it's about one of them getting um inappropriately interrogated by the cops um just for being a person of color just waiting for a bus you see that happen Within mm-hmm. Les Rob, you see Chris just stop a girl and frisk her just because she's waiting on a bus. It made me think of how this keeps happening and how, you know, every like human rights are just getting tossed to the side because you look at somebody and you think, oh, they must be up to something, they must have something on them, and how it really is a problem that needs to go away very quickly as much as i want police officers to do a better job it's it's like it's the easiest thing is to leave those presumptions aside and just do your job don't harass citizens who are just trying to live their lives deathless puts that into puts a racial profiling into art in such an amazing way such a an anthemic way such a boisterous way that if people have never heard of a and people have never heard of deathless i think it's a really wonderful way of exclaiming how racial profiling is something that needs to stop and how the world will start to possibly push past it you know when you get lyrics saying like all the same with that skin it really hangs a very clear message that what these people are going through is just not right and it's it's a it's something i've, I've actually been lucky enough to see a Bae in concert and if anybody gets the chance i highly recommend it
1: Wow, oh, that's good got something to listen to in the morning
0: <laughs> yeah definitely did you have any others to to go along with les Rob, or shall we call that a night Call that a night. All right. I'll call that a morning. That is episode 241 of the matinee cast. I am so thankful to Stevie Taylor for coming by. Come on back on Monday, February 24th for episode 242. Not entirely sure what we're going to talk about yet. We might talk about the photograph by Stella Maggie. Um, So if you want to talk about that film give me a drop me a line, because I'm still looking for a guest for that episode, Stevie um, these days can mostly be found on Twitter. um, Where, you are at stevie taylor are you not
1: yeah that's the one
0: and there will be a link for the sh- for um her twitter feed in the show notes my site is the you can find back episodes of the show by going to the slash podcasting you can also find them in all the usual places stitcher radio spotify Pocket Cast, apple everywhere where you find podcasts and if you don't find your po- my podcast where you n- normally go let me know i'll put it there um everything gives you handy ways to subscribe for free and get alerts when new episodes drop. Feedback on a Rob, on any of the other works that we talked about, or just on Stevie or myself, you can email Ryan at thematinee.ca Twitter where I'm matinee underscore CA or, or Facebook.com slash matinee Any final thoughts, Stevie Taylor?
1: Go see les Yeah, but it will go under the radar, I feel, because of other Great foreign language films that they are out there but this one is really good and i know that we'll be thinking about it for a few years to come
0: it's a, uh, you know it was a really really good year for international film and uh, this is certainly one of the best ones and uh here here definitely go see this movie if you have the means for stevie i'm ryan we'll see you at the matinee